Welcome to the Absolute Purpose Project, a podcast series by Absolute PR and Marketing that investigates inspiring and enlightening individuals, brands, and organizations that focus on purpose as a force for good. In our podcast series, we will explore the best ways of communicating purpose through the eyes of some of the UK's most inspirational communicators and their compelling and often quirky stories. The Absolute Purpose Project is an extension of the work the agency has been doing for the last 20 years in guiding brands to deliver environmental and social impact through action, innovation and communication. Chris was co-founder and director of environmental charity Surfers Against Sewage from 1990 to 2000 an organisation regarded by the BBC as some of the government's most sophisticated environmental critics. Chris was then Sustainability Director at Eden Project for five years, and most recently he founded Grain of Sand, an organisation dedicated to delivering positive change. Chris is a highly respected communicator and driver of positive change, with a focus on obtaining solutions to problems. Chris sees effective communication as a key driver to change and has appeared on everything from Panorama to BBC Newsnight and CNN. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? Very well, thank you. Delighted to be here. Coming out into spring, aren't we? So yeah, it's a nice feeling, longer days, all of that. So from one communications agency to a highly respected communicator like yourself, Please, can you tell us a little bit about the tools that you use to communicate your purpose? If I kind of went back as far as Surfers Against Sewage, we were aware of how powerful a tool surfing was to sell messages. It's like the ad man's dream. Surfing is used to sell everything from washing powder to beer. You know, we surf the net, etc. So that kind of way of, of doing it. And we used that to sell the message of polluted seas, but also the message of what we wanted to do to get it cleaned up. So we, I think that when you're communicating stuff, you have to be able to tell the story and have a vision. And our vision at that time, and I think it still applies today, is of what the world would look like. So our vision was to be able to enjoy the, the seas and the coastal waters around the UK without fear of infection or without the gross aesthetic disgust of having a panty liner wrap it yourself around your ankle or duck dive under a wave and come up with one stuck in your hair. And that was the situation. Yeah. So we kind of used that tools. We were very media savvy during the 90s. We knew that in order to drive things up the political agenda, you have to drive them up the public agenda. And driving up the public agenda if you can work well with the media, then that helps do that. And, you know, through that time, we, we obviously were very aware of what a photo shoot looks like, what an image looks like. So, again, the wetsuits, the gas masks, the surfboards, and, again, always had having SAS in the nose of the wetsuit that was right next to me. So there was no messing as to who we were. We had a 10-foot inflatable poo with our name on it. And, again... You know, that that photograph made the front page of The Guardian nationally. So that kind of understanding that you don't necessarily need rent a crowd, you don't need to do mass demonstrations, but that you can move very quickly around the country. We knew absolutely which 
where every TV area was. So we would set off and do, um, we used to call them hit squads, and we would go around the UK and we would look at the map of the TV areas. We would look at the map of all the water company areas. And luckily, they kind of overlapped quite well. And we would go into those areas. So we'd never do a demo in twice in the same TV area because you, you're not going to get TV coverage two days running. You might get it again six months later for a different beach in the same TV area. So we would move around the country doing that into different TV areas, different water company areas. So quite kind of being effective with your time and your energy and having that message, understanding that you need to have something in a kind of a clear sound bite. So we became, I guess, through doing lots of media, we became quite good at, at zoning it down into the sound bites, mm. the real message that you wanted to get across. And that would be, you know, we want to be able to bathe in amazing clean seas. Unfortunately, 400 million gallons of crude sewage are dumped around the UK coastline every single day. And we think that the water companies should abandon the concept of long sea outfalls and put in this better treatment, ultraviolet light disinfection, which is uh, cheaper than building those old pump and dump mentality long sea outfalls. And that that's kind of was SAS, you see, there in about 30 seconds. Yeah. And... Yeah. Being able to do that, and I can still do that now. I mean, I don't do that now, but that's what it is. It's being able to do that. But uh, I was doing some media training last week with the new SAS crew, and I was saying, you know, it's down to everything. It's like it's making sure that you know that you can get them a cup of coffee. Yes. That because all too often, you know, a camera cameraman or a reporter, they're flying. They've got lots of stories to cover that day. The easier you make their life the better. So if you know they're coming, you know, explain to them where the car park is. Mm. Have a coffee ready for them if they want a coffee. If they're coming down from London or something to, to you, say, you know, do you want a recommendation of a really nice hotel? Mm. And the better the hotel, if they wake up, like there used to be one where it's not a hotel anymore, it's an Agnes, but we put someone in there from the Daily Mail, from the U, U magazine in the Daily Mail, and she literally woke up overlooking the surf. And we were also able to say, well, if you, you know, you, your toilet just went in that sea just there, 50 yards to your left. So you're giving them that immediacy. The connection. Yeah. So those are kind of some of the tools. So having that understanding of what makes good little bit of television, imagery and, you know, the sound bites and everything. And again, kind of helping them build the backstory of it as well. So if they want to go and know, you know, where can they get the best shot over looking the coastal waters or whatever it is that you want them to see. You know, if you were looking to sell, for example, a farm based food product, you've got to give them a good farm. Yeah. You know, you can't if, if you're selling a cheese or something, you can't say, oh, this cheese is really good. And advertise that from because the story wants the picture of the the farm. Of course, it wants to understand those things. I, I think, I mean, you can also do. We were quite good at doing bits of media piracy. There was a brilliant one at one point where these wonderful guys, Springhall Fanthorpe, who were a big advertising kind of agency in London. Well, they used to deliver the filming for big agencies doing kind of big beer adverts out in the Caribbean, all that kind of stuff. And they said, "Look, we can." make this advert for you and it was kind of broadcast quality 
but we knew we would we would be banned, which was the best thing. Yeah. So we were banned from because we couldn't have afforded to have booked television advertising space. There's no way we had the budget to do that. But we were allowed to show it in a cinema. So we waited until the Tory party conference in Bournemouth. And then we booked the film in, they, and they did this all. We didn't have to pay anything. They, this Spring Hall fan thought called in all their favours from the advertising industry and everything. And they we booked it in, a, and it came in in Pearl and Dean. So it went, and then up came our advert. Now, the best thing was, was that because we then put the press release out to the media saying SAS show banned advert in cinema. And then because it was part of a news story, they could show the whole advert. Brilliant. So we then did that right around the UK and the different TV areas. So we got our advert shown on news television right around the whole UK for no cost whatsoever. The best. That's the kind of tool that we've got to use. We've got to be fleet of foot as well. I think one of the things that we, when you're trying to kind of campaign for, for positive change to happen you know, the forces that we that, you know, we take on are huge. Mm. They have massive budgets to be able to kind of like quash and argue against. But they are quite like a big old wallowing being uh, and like a kind of like a like a big oil tanker. On they go. Whereas the if you're small and agile, you can kind of, you know, run run around the back, kick them up the bottom. And by the time they turn around. You've you've changed position completely. And I think that fleet of foot and that agility is really important. Uh, and it's a good tool. And I think sometimes we get too bogged down, but to keep moving, to keep having the energy. Okay. Very sound advice there and a lot to take away. Thank you. So could you just tell us a little bit about some of the recent projects that you've worked on that have been quite exciting for you? So I do lots of public speaking. Yeah, I do a lot of that. Um, and I did, I guess, my kind of highlight last year were two that are were worth mentioning. So one was into the British Lubrication Association. So these are people kind of from the oil sector. And I knew that when I was walking into the room, but they'd asked me, this was their first sustainable sustainability conference up at the Institute of Directors in London. So it's quite, you know, auspicious gig. Uh, and I was their opening keynote. Brilliant. And they said, you know, we want you to be provocative. So my opening slide was thank you, because without lubricants, we would all be dead. You know, our transport systems wouldn't work. Our hospital machinery, all those things have mm. lubricants in them. Yeah. So that was my first slide. My second slide was a picture of a whale. And I said, so again, thank you for stopping the slaughter of whales, because that's where all of our lubricants used to come from, mm -hmm. whale oil and all of that. And then I kind of slowly wound it up. And by halfway through, I was talking about ecocide and that if they didn't change, that would be where some of the directors. And then I you know, go in with, OK, but there is an alternative. And one of the biggest ways that we can you know, address climate change is for the existing big oil companies to change. Now, whether they will or not, maybe that's kind of naive and wishful thinking, but they do have the infrastructure, they've got the finances, they've got all of that, and they know they're being squeaked. Now, some of them are going to fight tooth and nail to stay. So that was a great conference. And, you know, I 
I stayed all day. I think I got the pitch right um, between being provocative enough and, and challenging, but also encouraging. You know, there were a couple of moments in the day where I had to go, whoa, 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 slow lot. You know, you're way behind the curve here. Mm. Um, and then the second brilliant conference I went to was a climate change summit over in Bucharest in Romania. And that was absolute joy. You know, it's a lovely old theatre. Um, with boxes and everything. And they even, the stage was even covered in real turf. And at one point, the former senior advisor to the European Bank um, on renewable energy, we got, her and I got caught sniffing the stage because I said to her, it's real, I said, it's real turf. And she said, it isn't. And I said, come on. And we were, I said, sniff it. And we were both sniffing. And someone said, what are you doing? So, (laughs) but it was a brilliant conference. And it, it, it was, you know, they had a great array of speakers, but also a whole set of positivity. You know, you can you can see and feel positive stuff coming. Mm. I, I think it is. So those were two conferences. You're taking yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone every time. I can see yeah, you know, every time. you're pushing it further, aren't you? Yeah, and encouraging the people yeah. to come with you, you know. And, and Thursday last week was was Rodder's Clotted Cream, looking at that, you know, again, they're a B Corp accredited company and I help, again, help them through that process. But, you know, they they know that they're going to go and change and they already have changed. You know, they're they've got they got some solar energy on site. They're looking at all of their aspects of their business um, and they're going to drive forwards off that. And then Wednesday was SAS media training. And then Tuesday I did 1,800 students at a school in Brentwood, literally back-to-back. I did 40-minute talk, five-minute gap, 40-minute talk, five-minute gap, 40-minute talk. Exhausting. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then over the weekend, then Katie and I planted about 150 trees over the weekend oh. as well. And, and where, where was that then? Where was that, Chris? That down, there's a little, a little field. We just got a little tiny bit of a field down below, and we just put in some trees. Oh, and I got, and we got surfing. Not bad. That, that's a, like a take of. That was a really busy week, but it's a brilliant week. And then another one. And then after this today, I'm then going up to see some friends who are doing this brilliant film, and I'm involved in it a little bit. I'm included in the film, but I'm just supporting them. Uh, it's called The Big C, uh, mm-hmm. and it's the big and it's C as in S E A, and mm-hmm. it turns out that all of our wetsuits come from a company called DuPont. Yeah. And they're all made from a material called neoprene. But the root of neoprene is chloroprene. And that's produced now. DuPont changed their name to Denka. And there's two factories in the world. One of them isn't really monitored. And the other one is in Cancer Alley in Louisiana. And it's environmental racism with 50 Mm -hmm. times the level of cancer in the local community that is horrifying yeah so these guys have made this brilliant film and they're now doing a kickstarter they're going to reach their goal i'm sure they're about two thousand pounds short of their goal but it's a brilliant film and all the wetsuits used in it are plant-based so patagonia and finisterre all their wetsuits are plant-based not using this neoprene chloroprene chemical so it can be done. And, and the, the standard of the surfing in it is brilliant. So again, so that's just that that's kind of like how what I've got before. And then and then I'll do another talk online this week. And so that's kind of. Like, you mentioned the film last. Very exciting. 
Yeah, it's it's 50 minutes and it's brilliant. Wow, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So living by the sea, as we as we are really lucky to do, actually, and, you know, it's impossible to miss all the amazing work that you have done with, you know, all, all the charity continues to do, Surfers Against Sewage. Yeah, amazing. So, so I just wanted to find out from you as co-founder, how did the charity start and at what point did you step away? Okay, so it started in May 1990. Uh, that was when we had our first public meeting. And just before that, I guess almost the summer of 89, there's, we went like talking about there's quite a lot of pollution on the beaches, a lot of panty liners, condoms, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, everything gets a bit quiet in the winter. And then as we came out of spring uh, 1990, there were varying people. Some people saying oh, we should just spray some graffiti. Other people wanted to do some T-shirts and sweatshirts. And so we said, well, let's have a meeting. Anybody serious? Because it'd be good to try and see whether we want to do something. So we met up at, about a dozen of us met at uh, Minzy's mum's house. And we said, let's have a public meeting in two weeks time. And we very took different roles. You know, I got science because my dad was a GP. So I got told to look at that. And we, and we had this public meeting and you couldn't get in. There was just, uh, you know, two, three hundred people leaning in through the windows of the village hall. So we kind of knew we'd hit something. Mm. We very quickly went out and started working with the media with the image of, you know, gas mask wetsuits. And by that summer, you know, we were having pieces in. We, I think we had a whole, fo- whole page photograph in the Daily Mirror. We a Channel 4 documentary had started to follow us. And that's how it started. And it was really, really, really grassroots. You know, we charged two pounds membership. We didn't know what. Well, we thought we might be able to save up and buy sewage treatment works. But we we very rapidly worked out they were several million. So that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we were that naive, really. We were blissfully naive, but yeah. passionate and driven by the thing that fired us up. Just the dreadful state of our beaches. And it literally was surfing at Porth Town, nicknamed Porth Tampon, was bathing in the toilet of Campbell and Redruth. You know, two crude discharges, a total of five million gallons a day, every day, continuous, nonstop. It's not like the CSOs that are happening now. The, you know, and some of those are almost continuous. This was all day, every single day. All of the coastal population of Britain was pooping in the sea. But... Chris, I mean, this is a question for a little bit later, but I'm going to bring it forward now because we're here. I mean, what has changed since that point? So what changed them was that, so the government, so the water companies were having to, they all had these uh, asset management plans, these investment programs, but they wanted to build long sea outfalls. And the long sea outfalls would have just had minimum treatment, but discharged it further out to sea. Now, the little indicator organisms that show that sewage is present, they die off in a matter of hours in salt water. So if you pump it far, far enough out, the slick of sewage will still come in. But the indicator organisms will say, oh, it's safe. But hepatitis A can do 100 days in salt water, especially if it's wrapped up in a nice little nugget of, you know, greasy food. That, that, it'll love that. So we needed to stop them building the long sea outfalls. And we looked high and low and we found on the island of Jersey, they were putting in this thing called ultraviolet light treatment. So no long sea outfall, ultraviolet light treatment. I wrote some evidence to a House of Lords Select Committee based on the written evidence. I was asked to go up to London to give oral evidence. I put my suit and tie on, went and sat in front of the Lords and Ladies and they quizzed me about this. And I said, they said, how confident are you in that tech? 
And my response was, um, based on the bacterial count in their outfall pipe, compared to the bacterial count at our beaches, I feel 50 times safer sticking my head up Jersey's outfall pipe than I would bathing on those beaches. And then talk about marketing tools. A week after I made that statement, the island of Jersey's tourist department phoned up and said, this would make brilliant marketing for us. Do you want to come and duck dive their outfall pipe? So I did. <laughs> so I went out there and we got the pictures and I duck dived into the mouth of 100,000 people's sewage. Wow. And I got, you know, I got a, a meter up the pipe before I was blown back out by the force. Um, but I stand by what I said, look, taste and smell cleaner than the beaches such as Porth Tampon. So that, so that, so then that triggered a, a spend. And then there was a change of government in 97. And I think we're coming up against another one of those now, another pivotal moment, hopefully, in about the next 18 months. And, you know, this is speaking apolitically. So of the political, you know, service against sewage were deeply political, but we were apolitical of the politics of clean seas. And, you know, it seems sod's law that we're back again in the same loop and it's the same party doing the same thing and letting the water companies off the hook. And we've gone backwards. Gone backwards. We've yeah. completely gone backwards because everybody, people have taken their eye off the ball. The government have taken their eye off the ball. They slashed the funding to you know the regulators, the environment agency by fifty percent, and the water companies have just taken advantage of it. They've just gone. No one's watching. No one's monitoring us, and have now turned some of the CSOs combined sewer overflows into almost continuous discharges in some cases. And they're definitely using them way too frequently. You know, they're using them when there isn't even any rain at times. Thank you for listening to The Absolute Purpose Project. Please feel free to follow our work at Absolute PR Marketing, our handle across all channels. And please don't forget to rate, subscribe and share our podcast with all your friends.